but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, Thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 through 5, we have the prophecy concerning the apostasy and its remedy in Christian liberty. Do you remember from 2 Thessalonians, this prophecy of an apostasy was foretold. It was wrapped up in the man of sin and all of his wiles and deceit. He says in verse 1, In the latter times some shall depart from the faith. This is the same word as apostasy. Depart from. Same exact root word. They won't necessarily destroy the form of godliness. They'll still have that. They'll take the substance away, the power of godliness. They will depart from the living God. Walk away from Him. And all of this before the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in these latter times. He calls their teachings the doctrine of devils. Now remember, when people worship graven images, God says they worship devils, not God. God is not the origin of image worship. Satan is. So also these doctrines of devils, they don't come from God. They're not his doctrines. Whose are they then? Satan's, the demons. They're the ones who come in and say, you ought to believe this. They speak lies in hypocrisy. You think they're going to come out and say, by the way, guys, I have some doctrines of demons I'd like to share with you so that you can all become Satanists today. No, they lie. They wear a mask. That's what hypocrisy is. Hupa Christi. Hupa is underneath and Christi is judgment. Hypocrisy means you're under the level of judgment. Nobody can really tell how bad you are because you wear a mask. It was the ancient actors were called hypocrites because they wore a mask. Oh, right now I'm this person, then I'll play this person, then I'll play this person. Play actors, liars. Satan appears as what? Does he have a pitchfork and a tail coming up and some little red horns? Is that how Satan appears? As an angel of light. And his ministers, how? As angels of light. So here, they speak lies in hypocrisy. They are so holy, but they're demonic. That is, 
under a show of holiness and of leading a more strict life, it is a similitude taken from actors who oftentimes represent persons which they are not. Beware of the leaven of hypocrisy. Beware of the doctrine of devils. Beware of speaking of lies. Now, how do we know whether a doctrine is from God or not? Pray tell. Is there some way that we could just discern how do we actually know if it's from God or the devil? I don't know. Some, there you go. He's got a Bible. That's it right there. The oracles of God. God speaks to his people in the Bible, not in your revelations, not in your dreams, not in some councils, not in the traditions of the elders. He speaks in the Bible. That's how you know. Now, such people have their consciences seared as with a hot iron. This is the Greek word where we get cauterized from. Kateriazo, scorched. They refused to listen to their conscience. Luther says they have an invented and false conscience, one that is forced by violence and not natural and honest. Now notice, doctrines of demons. Are we supposed to bow down to Baphomet? Is that the doctrine of demons? Should we sacrifice our children? What, what is it that is this doctrine of devils? Listen, forbidding to marry. There it is. That's a doctrine of devils. Telling people, well, you, you can't marry. But isn't it lawful for all sorts of persons to marry? Yes. But listen, we are so holy that we think you should not marry. And if you want to be really holy you got to not marry. You could be maybe a copper Christian and get married. Silver Christians are abstinent for longer. And the gold status Christians, oh boy, they never get married. This is what Jerome said. Oh, the normal Christian, they're down there in the silver level. They get married. We gold Christians, we never get married. We are so holy. Who are they? The monks. The monks, they said, no marriage. You take a vow not to get married. Why? Because I want to be an officer in the church. Whoa, Antichrist, time out. Remember chapter 3 of 1 Timothy? What is one of the qualifications to be a bishop? He must be the husband of one wife. He must rule his own household well. He must have his children in subjection. And you're telling me a bishop shouldn't be married? Forbidding to marry. This is the first instance of the demonic lies, the hypocritical, conscienceless deceit, marriage being the ordinary state of man, part of the order of creation. What do you think demons want to do about it? They want to attack marriage. They want to burden men's consciences with their own demonic ideas. This prediction, the Westminster Annotations say, is verified at this day in the Romish church, which forbiddeth any in holy orders to marry. You want to be a priest? Don't marry. You can't do it. Want to be a monk? Can't get married. Want to be a bishop? Want to be pope? You can't get married. Forbidding. Because they're so holy, aren't they? Lies. Hypocrisy. 
a mask of demonic doctrines. What else? Again, is it bowing before Baphomet? No. Abstaining from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He doesn't say from all meats. You don't have to be a vegetarian. But they say, there is a restriction on your intake of meats. No meats on this day. No meats in this season. No meats here and there. And now you can have this meat, but not this meat over here. Where does this doctrine come from? Did the apostles teach this doctrine? No, demons teach this doctrine. Christian liberty frees us from the doctrines and commandments of men, from the distinctions of meats, from prohibitions on enjoying the good creatures of God, which God says, how do we enjoy these things? God says to give thanks for them. And to know the truth and believe that God has blessed these things. Christian liberty frees us. This is the antidote to the Antichrist kingdom. The freedom of a Christian man. Let us then rejoice in every good gift. Let us use the gifts of God lawfully, whether food or drink or marriage or any other good created by God. We believe that God is good, that he rejoices in the gifts that he gives to us. Wine, we are told, makes the heart of God and man to rejoice. God is rejoicing in the good things he gives to us. You know what Satan says? God's stingy. God doesn't want you to enjoy his creatures. If you want to be really holy, don't enjoy the creation. Don't get married. Don't enjoy meats. Stay off of meats on Friday. No, no this during Lent. Don't do this. Don't do that. No. God says, give thanks. Rejoice in his creatures. God is good. Satan says, no, he's not. Have God said that you can't eat of any of these trees? You remember that? That blatant satanic lie? God said there was one tree they could not eat of. What did Satan make that out to be? Oh, you can't eat of anything. God is so selfish. He doesn't want you to enjoy his creation. Every creature of God is good, verse 4. This is the apostolic tradition. Every creature of God is good. Apostates, heretics, liars, demons make distinctions of meats. They forbid marriage. They impose prohibitions not taught by Christ nor his apostles. Nothing, he says, is to be refused, despised, rejected, or thought unclean if it be received with thanksgiving. There's the uncleanness. Not the eating of meats, but being unthankful for the meats you partake in. God cleanses all these things, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. There's twofold cleansing of our foods. The word of God is where Christ said, The distinction of meats is taken away, the apostolic word. It tells us, Christ speaking through the apostles, that we may eat all sorts of foods. There's no distinction of meats in the New Testament. But prayer is where we subjectively in our own selves recognize that cleanness, that goodness, and that blessing. 
Then verses 6 through 16, we have directions to Timothy with regard to himself, his doctrine, and the people under his care. Now, all of these carping at heretics and condemning the man of sin and condemning of the apostasy, pastors shouldn't do that. You know that, right? Wrong. Verse 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a contentious, miserly, horrible minister. Is that what it says in your translation? That's the modern version. Oh, you shouldn't say things like that. That's not nice. You've got to be nice. No, thou shalt be a good minister. If you remind the people of their freedom in Christ and of the doctrines that come from God, if you're constantly reminding them of these things, why? Because they're so seductive. They sound so good. They sound so holy. They have a show of wisdom and humility. I note then a mark of a good minister is constantly, though not exclusively, reminding of these false doctrines. Bear with then the word of exhortation, warnings against false teachers. If they're in the text, I will bring them to your attention. But then Timothy, not just reminding the people, but refusing profane and old wives' fables. Cast them away from you. That's what he says, refuse as if it were unclean or common or profane. Throw it out. It's old womanish story time. We don't need these myths in the church, he's saying. That's what that word, old wives, old womanish. That's what it is. They just make it up for story time. It's falsehood under the color of truth. It's really profane. Why? Because it doesn't come from God's oracles, but it pretends to be holy. That's why it's false. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness, spiritual, not physical asceticism, the word of God, prayer, reading, meditation, fellowship. What are the means of grace? God has put at our disposal. Read in the apostolic word. You'll find out. Because bodily exercise profiteth little. Now this word exercising does not refer to lifting weights or jogging or boxing or anything of that nature. Rather, it refers to those practices that the doctrines of demons teach. These bodily exercises of abstaining from meats and drinks, of abstaining from marriage and gaining mastery over your body. These things have little profit. They do you really no good. Godliness, he says, is profitable unto all things. Things present, things future. Things temporal, things eternal. Things internal, things external. Things political, things personal. In family, in church, in work, in earth, in heaven, godliness is profitable in all things. These bodily exercises do you no good, really. Let us then pursue those spiritual exercises with all of our hearts. Reading the word diligently, meditating upon it, laying it up in our hearts, practicing it in our lives. Also, the public ordinances, hearing the word of God, seeking to implement what we learn, growing in grace and knowledge. Again, verse 11, these things command and teach. Keep on constantly doing this, Timothy. People will despise you. Oh, you're young. But don't let them, he says. Don't let them despise thy youth. Rather, make yourself a type, an example that they can copy. This is the duty of those in authority. 
to show themselves an example for others to follow. Timothy was to do that very thing. Be thou an example, both in his doctrine, his word, but also in his conduct, his charity, his spirit, his conversation. All that he did was to be an example. And this is why the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 are so important. Because they show us not just the doctrinal aspect, but also the practical aspect of leading a godly life. Give attendance, verse 13, to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Did you know that this is a summary of the pastoral ministry? What is a pastor's job? Slick the palms? Make the old ladies happy? Kiss babies? Run a business? What is it that a pastor is supposed to do? Chief flatterer? Is that what he's supposed to do? No. He's to read the Word of God. He's to exhort the people from the Word of God. And he's to build doctrines based off of the Word of God. That's what he's supposed to do. That's his job. Now notice the authority of Timothy to do these very things. Where did he get it? This gift was given to him by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Now it is possible that this word prophecy can be taken in an ordinary or an extraordinary way. Ordinarily, it's just preaching. Somebody preached and Timothy at his ordination heard that charge. That's one possibility. Another is that one of the prophets identified him and said, that man there is intended for the ministry of the gospel, Timothy. There could have been a prophecy. Either case, that prophecy was confirmed, whether ordinary or extraordinary. It was confirmed by an ordinary act where a presbytery laid hands, voted to receive him as a minister. The presbytery is an ecclesiastical senate. It is a body of elders. We talked about bishops from chapter 3. They're also called elders. And the presbyteria is the collection or senate of those elders as they sit in judgment or in government. I note then that ordinary pastoral authority is gifted and conveyed by presbyterial ordination. Not by one singular bishop, by the way, you'll notice. Even Timothy himself was subject to a college of elders, a senate of elders, a presbytery, so to speak. And Timothy is commanded to take heed to himself, verse 16, and to his doctrine. Look after yourself and look after what you teach, for much is at stake. What was at stake? His salvation and the salvation of them that heard him. Lose grip on yourself, lose grip on your doctrine, and what happens? All goes to waste. Our Confession of Faith, chapter 25, paragraph 3 says, Unto the visible church Christ hath given the ministry oracles and ordinances of God. Why? For the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world, and doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. 
Timothy is to command the people in the things that God commands. He was to encourage the people with the promises that God had made. And by this means, through the public oracles and preaching of God's word, the Spirit makes those effectual to their salvation. So if Timothy goes off the rails in what he teaches, and he falls into demonic doctrine, and he binds the consciences with things the master has not previously bound, what do you suppose will happen to their salvation? It would vanish. It would be gone. Give thanks then for the means of grace. Use them to the fullest. Give heed to what is read, to what is reasoned from Scripture applied from the text. Lay it up with faith and love and practice it in your lives. 